Welcome to On the Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. Hi, I'm Andy Simon. I'm your host and your guide. And as we come together for all of our podcasts, I want to celebrate my audience because we're in the top 5% of global podcasts. And I thank you for your support, for sharing and collaborating with us on great ideas. My job is to help you do something that's very painful to see, feel and think in new ways so that you can soar. And I love to bring you my guests because they're going to give you some insights about their own journey and about how you can get some key takeaways on how you can build your own career, your business, or wherever you're going. So today I have Maria Colacuccio, and Maria is smiling at me because I'm so delighted to have her here. Um, We're in the process of writing our next book, Women Mean Business. Maria has a whole chapter in it. And in her sharing her wisdoms, I was just absolutely impressed with who this woman is, what she's done, and why she's a wonderful person for you to, to know more about. Let me tell you about her bio. She's passionate about helping companies build equitable workplaces where every worker is valued for who they are and their contributions. Now, that sort of sets the stage for what she's doing today, and she'll tell you more about it. Um, Maria is CEO of Cindio, a SaaS you know, growth startup. It's really in on its way. She helps companies around the world create equitable workplaces for all employees, regardless of gender, race, or ethnicity. Companies, my clients, tell me how difficult it is to know whether or not they're paying the same, the same salaries for the same job, depending on who the people are and whether or not they're really doing it intentionally or by chance. We give the data to Cindio, and without any long time, next thing you know, you have a really good database, and you know what's going on. Powerful. Prior to Cindio, Maria co-founded Smartsheet.com. It went public in 2018. She spent three years at Starbucks. But she started her career working on congressional campaigns and has a long history of mission-driven work and a compassionate and competitive attitude to spur change. She's smiling. Sometimes when you hear yourself coming back at you, you go, oh, who is that? And is that really me? Uh, She serves on the board of the nonprofit Fair Pay Workplace and has been named one of the 100 most exceptional entrepreneurs by Goldman Sachs Builders and Innovators Summit for two consecutive years. I love the fact that she went to Whitworth University where she studied history, political science, and minored in music and studied vocal opera. Isn't that a beautiful Renaissance woman we have? Maria, thank you for joining me today. I truly appreciate it. Hmm. Now, your turn, my dear. Tell the audience, who is Maria? What's your journey been like? I can read a bio, but you make it come alive, and it's so rich. Please, who's Maria? Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. It's just a delight to be here, and I've had such a great time collaborating with you on the book And I'm so looking forward to seeing the 99 other women who are profiled in that. So I am sort of, as you stated, I think I have a very nonlinear path in many, many ways in my life and career. And I think it it all culminates in this idea and experience around how do you think about growth mindset as it actually unfolds in front of you? And, And for me, when I think about being a history major, going to a very very liberal arts oriented college, being a first generation college grad. I grew up in a very strong Italian American family. My dad and my Italian uncles all served in different branches of the military. None had ever gone to college. So that was really important to my parents that 
the four of us kids go get an education. And they made that very, very clear to us. So I think being a first-gen college grad, it just, it sets you up for your career in a way that you don't even really know what to expect because you haven't had a model to follow in terms of of looking at a parental set that sort of did college and then did their entry level, did their internships. You don't really know what to do. So I think as I sort of took the twists and turns of a very nonlinear path, one of the things that's really made clear to me is I want to be that mentor for other folks that may not have a model to follow in terms of what are the right moves to make? How do you look at a door that may be open just a crack and have the courage and confidence to kick it open and go pursue something that might not be the exact sort of choice that most people would make in that situation? So I think to sum it up, non, non-traditional start in terms of where I ended up as the CEO of a SaaS software company. But I also think that's exactly what women need. Women need to have role models who have come from different and diverse backgrounds and are forging ahead and not necessarily looking like CEOs typically look. And so that's something I'm really, really passionate about. As I'm listening to you, I'm smiling as you're smiling because um, the absence of role models So I had a program at Washington University to help women entrepreneurs, and they all said, I need some role models. If you can't see it, you can't be it. And you somehow managed to move your way through things, trusting in yourself, not necessarily with a mentor. Were there others who were giving you guidance? Are there some interesting stories you might share about how you began to migrate through? You had different career um, points, not all leading to something, but all leading somewhere. It was very interesting le- listening to your 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 bio. Yeah, thank you. I I think I owe a lot to other folks, other people who were generous with their time and their experience. And one of the reasons that I am so active in the words that I choose when I talk about our accomplices. So some people use the word allies, but in my career, in my life, the folks that have been in the ring with me fighting for things like equality for folks in the workplace from whether it's gender, race, ethnicity, looking across intersections, the folks that have been in the ring with me, they are accomplices. They are in the fight back to back, holding swords, forging our way ahead. And I certainly personally had that experience. I had a lot of white men in power who made it a point for whatever reason, typically a personal case, whether it was something they had experienced or seen a loved one experience where they had decided they were going to be an accomplice in this fight. And because of that, they took it upon themselves to really put the time in. I had several folks at Starbucks who really mentored me and helped me understand a couple of new areas around pay equity. What was the legislation? What was the process with external counsel? What was the math? All of these things that are the underpinnings to what I do today that I would have had no idea had they not taken the time. And the second example, I think, was when I was hired at Cindy, I was the CEO. I was hired by people who took a chance on me. I had never been a CEO. I had co-founded a startup that was very successful, but I co-founded it from the seat of marketing and communications. I had never led anything as that person in the seat of CEO. So they had to take a chance. They had to say you know, we're going to take a chance on this person. And if she doesn't have everything we need, we're going to figure out how to support her. Now, the flip side of that is even that I have so much privilege because I'm a white woman. And so if you think about the leg up that I had, it's now 
incumbent upon me to make sure I'm taking that privilege and bestowing it and helping others make sure that they have those growth opportunities that I had. I love your story because you're right. Um, We have an obligation to lift up and to share. Um, But also, there is, to your point, there's no straight line. And it's not as if there's a ladder we're climbing. We're sort of exploring and people see something and pluck us up and put us into roles. You know, this imposter syndrome stuff is so interesting. I've always been an imposter. You know, I was SVP of one bank and EVP of another bank. They all thought I knew more than I knew. I never knew what I didn't know. Um, But in fact, it was okay. We were bold and courageous. And there were always accomplices who wanted to help us move somewhere. And they didn't, they weren't, they weren't afraid. And neither was I, you weren't either. As you're doing this, are there some really important lessons that you've learned about how to find the right ones? Because I had some burning along the way. Um, And I never like to share them too often because I want them to go away. Um, But I also know, being an anthropologist, that that change is painful. The guys aren't all sitting there saying, oh, please come in and take my job. You know, I I know you can do a better job than I can do, but why can't I do that job? Or I don't, maybe you can't do a better job than I am. So the, the complexity of this means that we need to stand out in some fashion And as you're helping others move up, they need a great story to tell so that they can pass through it. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think you've got to take chances when you get them because when, again, as you're walking down sort of the corridor of your life's experience as it relates to your career specifically, you'll walk by doors that are open just a crack. Mm -hmm. And I think our natural response, particularly as women, is to say, well, I have no business trying to peek into that door that's open just to crack. That's for someone else. That's for someone with more experience, better skills, but more confidence. And I think when you have someone sort of on the other side, holding it open for you saying, just give it a shot. I've got your back. If things go sideways, that's the confidence you need to walk through. And I, I had that at Starbucks. There was a woman who really took it upon herself to guide me. And I had been in marketing and communications my entire career. And a role opened in finance, working on a team, doing enterprise operational planning for the CFO and and doing deep finance work that I had never done before. And I was terrified of it. Right up your alley. (laughs) Terrified. I was a history major. I was a writer. I was a marketing and communications person. But this woman said, you got to do it. And here's why, because you're an entrepreneur. And if you want to continue fostering leadership and capabilities that will help you run a Fortune 500 company someday, you have to understand EBITDA. You have to understand gap and non-gap. You have to understand these financial terms that at the time seemed absolutely terrifying to me. But knowing that I had her there, her name was Carrie, and knowing she had my back, it gave me the confidence I needed to sort of walk through the door. And, and those are the moments I think that are, are really turning points in a person's career when they're willing to make that non-linear pivot because they know they have somebody behind them. And now a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us. And we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled or an individual in that organization who's looking to rethink their own life's journey. Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled, and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens, reignite their growth, 
and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings, and the brick walls and become the best that they could be. They heard things like women aren't lawyers and women can't lead and women aren't in geosciences. And they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back, and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at andysimon.com and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books. And you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves, very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now back to our podcast. Well, and, you know, as I'm, we tend to think of our own stories as we share the stories. And my story begins to come through because I'm, I'm an anthropologist. I was a tenured faculty member and somebody introduced me to Citibank, my husband. And they said, why don't you come and be a, a consultant? And I said, Sure, why not? And I had no idea whether it could lead somewhere or not. But what was interesting, being a woman, as you're describing it, is that it was okay to take a step in a new direction without any linearity to it. I love, you know, learning. EBITDA is not easy. Gap analysis isn't easy. Banking wasn't easy. But once we got going, we said, oh, I can do that. And then where does that take you? But you've been in different kinds of of companies. Is your journey, um, you know, somebody saw you and said, why don't you try this? Or it went public and so you can move on to something else. You know, how did you move from one stage to the next? Yeah. So early in my career, when I was in Washington, D.C., working at the Smithsonian at the National Museum of American History, and then went on to work at a, a firm that supported nonprofits um, through nonprofit management, it was as random as meeting a woman. And this is what really happened. I met a woman at a dinner party who said, you need to be in tech. My company is hiring right now. You would be so great. I was like, tech, I know nothing about tech. I'm a history major. I've been on congressional campaigns. I work at a history museum for Pete's sake. <laughs> and she said, no, 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 you really you need to. laughing. I got it. Yeah. Talk some more. It's just because it opens the door for women to say, oh, that's how it happens, doesn't it? It really was. And she said, you know, come interview for my company. We're hiring someone in marketing. Your background would be perfect. We need a great communicator. Communication skills are ubiquitous. She really got it. She really got that concept of skills over experience. So I was like, what the heck? Sounds interesting. The tech boom was going strong. And so I flew to San Francisco and I interviewed for this startup company. And it was a really technical startup. It was an Israeli-based startup all the folks that work there were former Israeli military because they're all encouraged and actually they must serve. And so it was quite technical. But what I realized was I had this incredible love. I took the leap, got the job, moved cross country. And I found that I really loved applying my communication skills mm -hmm. to translating these deep technical concepts into things that could help the sales team go out and sell them. And, and it became this realization for me that's continued, which is 
someone might not have the experience. They may not have the matchy-matchy experience of 10 years as a B2B professional in enterprise, you know, SaaS, sales, marketing, whatever, but they might have the skills to really get it done. And I think that translates to the work that I've done with veterans moving into the corporate environment from former active duty and applying those skills, those operational pieces of expertise. I worked with this incredible woman named Kelly McCoy, who was one of the first female colonels in Afghanistan and Iraq. And she taught me so much about this because she was so brilliant. And the way she translated that experience to running operations at Starbucks was was incredible. I think you can extend it to moms who have spent a couple of years out of the workforce caring for young children. What are the skills they're gaining that you can apply back to work? Do they have to go back in their career five, six years, or can you actually give them credit for some of the things they're doing? And I I think that started very early when I realized through experience, like, wow, I do have something to offer here. I can make this work. Now you have seven children. I have I do. a lot. <laughs> and 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 you got, you know, stage B funding in the middle of having eight months pregnant with your seventh. Um, have we, have you, because I don't think there's a we here, pushed past the stereotypes and broken through in such a way that our listeners can begin to understand that, yes, you can carve for yourself your own personal story that others, you know, immediately grab a hold of. And your point about serendipity should not be underestimated. You had a dinner party, you were talking to someone, you weren't selling yourself, but she pulled from what your story was immediately and said, you'd be perfect. And then you get into tech and you're not quite sure what we're doing, but you have the skills and the comfort to go translate the tech into understandable communication. And then, you know, and you move along. And and I do think that having seven children or two or three um, teaches us a whole lot about navigating complicated um, worlds because nothing is simple um, and all the personalities aren't that different than the ones you're going to run in a company. But as you're looking at it, it leaves you with the sense of, of course I can. And and now it's at at Symbio, you're growing something that is so needed in such an innovative way. Are there some key insights from this this company in particular? Because it's um intended to do exactly what you want passionately to do, which is create the equality, power, and position for women and men so that we don't have this kind of battleground going on. Yeah, thank you. So so yes, exactly. I think Cindio. We're a workplace equity analytics platform. So what we do is we help companies, Fortune 2000 companies, analyze and resolve pay and opportunity gaps that are because of something like gender, race, or ethnicity. So really looking at how do you provide workplace equity? How do you make sure that you're letting data guide the discretion that's inherent to decision-making to get the bias out. There's so much discretion in decisions of compensation, in decisions of promotion, who gets promoted, in decisions around who gets that promotable project. And if you let data guide those decisions so that you have a roadmap, you have guidance in terms of what's the right pay range for this person. Yes, they may be a great negotiator, but what's the right pay range for them that looks beyond that 
to see what do other folks make in this same role that are from different genders, different diverse backgrounds, whether that be race, ethnicity, whatever, but really letting data be your guide to ensure that you're providing workplace equity and that workplace equity is really embedded into how the company does business. I think what's exciting right now is that the companies that are doing this and have been doing this are actually performing better and are more durable because Mm -hmm. of it. So this isn't just a nice to have when times are good. This is something that needs to sustain. And I think we're seeing pay transparency legislation accelerate across the country. We're seeing global compliance explode in Western Europe. We're seeing median and mean pay gap really rise to the top in terms of shareholder proposals and what the activists are, are talking about in requiring public companies to do race and gender audits. And I think we're going to see more and more of that. So we really help companies be ready and to use data to guide that discretion as folks make decisions. I'm curious uh, for who I am and how we do things. Changing culture is a painful process. Humans believe whatever they're doing is true. And I preach that the only truth is no truth. And so when you give them data, and there's some great articles They've been republished recently about why humans don't read the data or the facts and actually believe them. They believe their own shared mythology about what it is. But you're watching them actually take the data and turn them into reality. So they begin to believe that, in fact, there's a better way to define the job, promote the job, and get the biases out and look at what's factual. What what are I, I'm curious, what what are people actually doing to do that? Hiring new people, training them, but beginning to build a because so often they get the data and do nothing with it. Yeah, I think we have a couple of things going for us. Number one, when you have to communicate to your people what you're doing to commit to things like pay equity, which has become table stakes. So companies must ensure they are not paying unfairly or that there are pay disparities because of something like gender or race. And when you get into the situation where you have to communicate that to your people, you have pay ranges that are now public and you have to communicate to your people why they're paid what they're paid. Because the first question, when someone sees a role that's the same as theirs posted in terms of a company's now hiring and they've got to publicly post that pay range, the first thing folks look at is what's the job title and what's the top of the range. And so the next question is going to be, why am I paid what I'm paid? Mm -hmm. So when companies are forced into a position where they have to communicate with their people, the data all of a sudden becomes not so much a a negative, but a positive, because now it helps you explain. It's this this huge benefit around pay explainability. You've got to be able to explain why people are paid what they're paid, why they're in the area of the range that they are. And the more companies have to explain, mean median is another thing. Mean median reflects representation. So why are some people up at the top? Why are some people in the middle? Why are some folks at the bottom? And when you have to explain that, the data all of a sudden becomes an unlock. It becomes the context. It becomes the story, the narrative as to why these things are happening. And it's the authentic truth. So so that's where we've seen an incredible amount of momentum as companies have had to go explain these things. They now have these data visualizations to rely on. Don't you love it? 
You know, I can only say that quietly because I hope they love it as much as I love hearing about it because transformation is so hard and data can be so transformational if you believe it and you use it and if others are asking for it and make sense out of it. So I think it's a really, the moment is really uh, propelling us to the next stage. And if businesses can do so far better and retain people better and grow them better with the data, Mm, all that bias can really get diminished. It never goes away, but at least it can become far less powerful. Wow, exciting. You know, I could talk to you all afternoon, and this is really a wonderful time. But I also know that my listeners like about a half hour together. As we're going to wrap up, are there two or three things that you think, you know, takeaways, things you can do? Some of them, um, you know, my always is listen to someone who's talking to you. Serendipity is right in front of you. Um, but, but for you, some things that you'd like them to be able to actually maybe do when they leave. Yeah, I think one quote that sticks with me, and I don't even know who said it, but it's you get lucky when preparation meets opportunity. Oh, I love it. And it's something that I try to live by because I'm a preparer. I work really hard and I prepare for everything in my life from the personal side with the kiddos and my husband and putting time and effort into my relationships and also saying no to a lot of things that goes against the goals that I have. A lot of people ask me all the time, like, how do you do it all? Like I have the same amount of time as everyone else, but there's a lot of things that I say no to in order to have time for the things that I really care about. And, and are those decisions difficult? Sometimes. But when you're really clear about what you're trying to prepare for and what your targets are, that that sets you in a position to have that luck when your preparation does meet opportunities. So I think that's that's number one. I think number two, thinking about skills over experience and thinking about how do you communicate your skills. So going back to communications and the power of communications, when you think about your skills as a whole, not necessarily your experience, but how do you talk about your trajectory and your nonlinear journey? And can you can you talk about yourself in a way that's more wholly encompassing of who you are as a person versus what you do right now, or maybe what your last career choice was? I think that can be incredibly beneficial. And for companies, I think just understanding that this moment of transparency, if you can look at it as an opportunity, right now there's a tidal wave coming in terms of transparency around workplace equity. And instead of waiting and being a laggard, taking this opportunity to be one of the first to dive into the center of the tidal wave, to figure out how do I embed this into the core of my company and take advantage of some first mover opportunities here, I think companies are going to see a huge leg up as it relates to employee loyalty and retention and keeping those high performers that you want to keep, even in times of incredible volatility. And they are very volatile. I think McKinsey's latest research on women in the workplace 2022 said there's a great breakup happening, that women are leaving, they're frustrated, um, for all the things that, that that you could help them turn around and they're not getting the pay equity they're looking for. They don't see the upward mobility. They don't have the sponsorship or the mentorship. And they're just saying, I've had enough. I'm going to find another path. And, and that may open up entrepreneurial opportunities for them or new types of businesses emerging. <laughs> but remember that women represent 60% of the kids in college. They graduate 
They've got lots of talent and they are tremendously capable of doing many things, including raising seven children at the same time you're CEO of a company. And if nothing else, Marie is a wonderful role model for how you can do all the things that matter, including saying no when you don't think it fits into what's important to you. But she said yes today. And I'm absolutely honored. You are great. This has just been terrific. Let me wrap up for our listeners and our viewers. Thank you so much for coming. Keep sending me those emails. I love to share with you. And at the end of the day, whether it's collaboration or it's, it's you know, they're not allies. They're, they're allies with you in some fashion, but they're all trying to help us move in a new direction. And that puts all of us on the limb of trying to figure out how to do this right and how to do it even better. And I'm always delighted to share with you our two books, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights and Rethink Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. And our third book is coming out. I'm not going to tell you a lot about it, but it'll be coming out in September of 2023. Maria has a chapter in it and you're going to love to read. And it's just a great time to celebrate a, a hundred amazing trailblazing women who mean business and they really do thank you for coming today maria thank you again it's been a pleasure bye-bye now have a great day bye-bye